please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you may have picked up on, if you listen to the Collect of the Day or to the Gospel reading, that today's focus that comes to us through our church calendar year happens to be the baptism of Jesus. And it's interesting because when you think of the baptism of Jesus, I'm not sure what you think about it because when we think of our own baptism, we think of we need to be baptized because it marks that we've been washed and cleansed from our sin. Well, Jesus led the way in all righteousness, fulfilling all righteousness. So he did it for that reason. But also, it was the inauguration of his public ministry. That's when Jesus began to reveal himself to the nations. That's what we talk about during the Epiphany. Is Jesus reveals himself. He comes out in public now. The only other glimpse you get from his birth until now is one time when he was 12 years old. Otherwise, you don't know much about Jesus. So now he's coming out and he's revealing who he is and why he's come. And his baptism is the mark that begins this. Now when you think of the word mark, not the name, the word, think about how many ways we use that term, how many definitions there are, just for the word mark. But when I get more specific, if I were to say Jesus was a marked man, What would that say to you? What do you think of when you hear someone is a marked man? His time's come. Someone's going to go after him. Typically, that's one of the ways. But there's another way, too. A marked man, if you look in literature and you look in some shows, marked sometimes means marked for greatness. And actually, if you look at some of the early scriptures in Luke 1 and 2, you'll see both ideas. In Luke chapter 1, for example, when the angel Gabriel is announcing to Mary about Jesus' birth, he says, and he will be great. So you've got that idea, that greatness of Jesus. And then, when you go to Luke 2, and Simeon Jesus comes to the temple, and Simeon is doing what we now call the Song of Simeon. Lord, you now have set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. He comes to the end, and he speaks specifically to Mary. And says, and a sword will pierce your heart. Because he's marked for death. Jesus knows it. That's why he came. He came to die on a cross in our place for our sin. He knew why he was coming. Many people at that point didn't. Probably when Simeon said that at Jesus' birth, Mary wasn't sure what that was about. The apostles, when Jesus would try to convince them, they wouldn't always be aware that Jesus was going to suffer and die. But Jesus was a marked man. Now hold that thought. When we do baptisms... And in particular, when we do babies, one of the things we say right after the baptism 
You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own. What are we saying? Are we saying they're marked for death? I mean, that is probably the furthest thing from our minds at that moment, right? What a cute baby! Isn't this wonderful? I mean, that's typically what we're thinking about, but we're not really thinking about this person is marked. But really, in many ways, it reminds me, I don't know how many of you like Far Side, the comics. Reminds me of a Far Side I saw years and years ago. Two deer talking. And one deer is saying to the other deer, bummer of a birthmark. And the deer has a bullseye on the back. You know, that's really, in many countries, when people are baptized, that's what they experience. And we forget that. We forget that. See, because for us, it's wonderful and beautiful. And most people in this country live without much threat to their faith. Most people live a fairly innocuous Christian life. Because over time, the commitment level of people in this country has slipped. Christianity, by and large, has been pretty much accepted. So there's little cost, little demand. And that's how people think of it. When in fact, when we say you are marked as Christ's own, to a certain extent, first and foremost, you have to remember, you are dying to self at that point. There is a death that's meant to be involved. But it's also a reminder that you might need to suffer down the road. Because Jesus said, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. We don't get that. We don't see that. We don't experience that. But many people in the world today do when they step forward for baptism. It's serious. And we don't always see it that way. For one reason... Sometimes it's because we didn't really even make the decision. It was made for us by our parents. We don't even think about it. It's something we just kind of acquiesced into. When the reality is, baptism is meant to be a decision. And that's really where I want to start with this, because we have a hard time fathoming this. There's a cost. There's a price that we could suffer That there's a struggle involved. But baptism ultimately is a decision for Jesus Christ. And if Jesus said, the world's going to hate me, there's going to be challenges for you. You're going to face problems. You're going to face temptations. You're going to face struggles. Then we really understand this decision means something. And in other countries where there actually is a potential cost and threat, they understand that. Baptism is meant to be a decision that we live into. Jesus would over and over again show you the focus of his life from that first step into public ministry. I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. That he's constantly living under this submission, this commitment, this decision that he made that I'm living for my Father and loving Him and giving of myself for everyone else. He made the decision when He came. 
He renewed that commitment when he came out into his public ministry. And you really see this whole mindset and idea when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his death. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. See, he understood from the beginning this decision cost. He was a marked man. And then when he's on the cross in the midst of his suffering and dying, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the decision that he made at the beginning. That he's lived into with his life and in his death. That's the depth of the decision that we are meant to make with our lives. And we really don't spend much time thinking about the extent or the ramifications of this decision which we make. You know, I don't know how many of you watched the BCS College Bowl Championship between Alabama and Notre Dame. But it was interesting because they interviewed some of the players at the end of the game. And when they came to this one player, they said, they said you know, how was this? What is this for you? And he basically said, this was the goal. From the minute I talked to Coach Saban, from the minute I began this program, I knew because I was playing for Coach Saban that it was 24-7 and we had a goal. Do you really understand the Christian life to be 24-7 and you have a goal? It's not just something that we play at or practice around. It's not something that we do occasionally. When you make the decision for Jesus Christ, it's 24-7 for life. And your goal is to become Christ-like until you're with Him for all eternity. That's the decision. That's what we're saying. That you're dying to sin and you're dying to self. And you're giving yourself wholly and completely to Him. Who did that? I love when that happens. See, if you're going to do something with your cell phone, make sure the timing's good. So number one, if it's something that you really never thought about, that you never really personally decided yourself, rethink that. Because that's the kind of decision that it's meant to be. And the ramifications, of course, means that we are obedient. If you listen to what Jesus talked about, I only do, I only say, I not my will, but your will be done. And I commit my spirit. It's all about that obedience, that following to the end. And once again, we don't fully comprehend or understand that. We think we kind of just float along and do what we want when we want. And that's not the kind of decision and the ramifications that the Lord is talking about. See, the symbolism of baptism, dying to sin, dying to self-submersion... Rising to new life in Christ, you are as if putting on the righteousness of Christ, which means it's an obedient life. 
We need to know what that life looks like, which is described in the Word of God. So we're students of the Word of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. Obedience means that we're constantly submitting our will to His will. That this is not about, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it again after this. It's not about personal happiness as much as it's about personal holiness. The whole idea of holiness is that we are being set apart. By God, for God. And we're seeking to grow in the knowledge and love of Him and living the life that He calls us to live. You know, when I meet with couples for premarital counseling, one of the things that we talk about is what it means to be wholly committed. And the reality is, when a couple comes forward here and pledges their love and pledges their life and they say, I forsake all others, do they really understand what they're saying? Or is love just about feelings and when you no longer make me happy and when I'm no longer happy in the relationship, I'm out of here. See, personal holiness is the same idea. The word holy means set apart. I'm being set apart by God for God. When we marry someone, we're saying, I'm setting myself apart just for you. Just for you. That's why I forsake all others. And with the Lord, that involves obedience. It involves that emptying of ourselves, humbling of ourselves. Because that's what emptying really is all about. See, the decision is first and the obedience follows. See, Adam and Eve had a decision to make too. They chose a different decision. They said, I would rather be the God of my own life. And so they sought not to be obedient to the Lord, but that which they thought would bring them what they wanted. And that's what we oftentimes do. We would rather follow our own desires, our own personal happiness, as we define it, as we describe it. You know, it's interesting. When you have this mini-dialogue between John the Baptist and Jesus, and John the Baptist is talking about, he's baptizing with water, He's not even, he's not even um, worthy enough to untie Jesus' sandal, this man's sandal. Now, see, you have to understand the ramifications of that. Because during this time, there was an unspoken rule amongst disciples and rabbis that would eventually actually be a written rule in certain circles that a disciple is not required to untie the sandal of the rabbi because it's considered too much below them. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you think about it, Jesus washed feet, but typically the person would undo their own sandal before your feet gets washed. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. And what does Jesus say in response to John's attitude? No, you baptize me. Because I'm placing myself below you. And you say you're unworthy to untie my sandal. I place myself below you. What does Jesus do over and over again? He empties himself. He models that servant attitude. 
He offers that sacrificial love because He's obedient to the Father. Paul writes in Philippians, he so much humbled himself that he was willing to die on a cross. And if you understand the ramifications of that in Deuteronomy, it says, he who hangs on a tree will be cursed. Jesus knew he was coming to be a curse, and yet he was willing to be obedient even unto death for our sake, out of love. And he said it at the beginning. When he made the decision, when he submitted himself to baptism, he said it at the beginning when he was coming out. Which means, thirdly, this is about new life. It's about a different life. That we are meant to stand out from the world. That this is not business as usual. It's not status quo for the country. That when we're called to Christ, we are called to be different. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, You are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That it's no longer me living in the world for my personal happiness and doing whatever I want. It's living for Him. Learning what it means to live in His love and with His love and live sacrificially. That's what it means. And it's signified by both the water of baptism and what John says about Jesus' baptism, it's by fire. Water, of course, cleanses, washes. That's the significance, that it washes away our sin, that we die to self. That's why Jesus, during the time of Jesus and John, submersion happened. You went under the water, you died to sin, you died to self. And you were cleansed, you were washed, you were were ready for being covered with the righteousness of Christ. But then the fire. The fire means that we're empowered. That our faith isn't something that's just mundane or inconsequential in our lives. There's an empowerment that changes us. There's an empowerment that sends us out to do His work, to do His will. A more modern phase, we're fired up about this. And purified. That we become more and more pure. We become more and more holy because He is holy. We're becoming more and more like Him. You know, over Thanksgiving, I was, I was in Pittsburgh visiting my mom and all of our children gathered there. And while we were there, one, one time, actually probably more than once, I drove on the parkway west coming into Pittsburgh, which means I go up Green Tree Hill, and at the top of Green Tree Hill is this building that my dad designed the steel for. For those of you that have been in Pittsburgh, it's got like copper-looking windows. They have something to do with solar stuff. But my dad designed the steel for that. He was a civil engineer. didn't design the building. That's an architect. He designed the steel. What kind of steel would hold up this kind of building? And what pieces need to fit where for that? He did all that. And then you drive down Green Tree Hill through Fort Pitt Tunnel and into the city. And at the skyline, I see another building where my dad designed the steel for. And it's good to have those reminders of my dad because he passed away a year and a half ago. 
But the other good thing is when I see those buildings, I'm really glad they're still standing. But let me tell you what's important in the figuring. What's important in the figuring is is that the steel that you rely on, that you rely on a certain strength, when you design it, that that steel doesn't have any impurities in it because it weakens the steel. The steel needs to be purified in order to stand. Because I remember living around Pittsburgh, there's so many bridges around there. From time to time you would hear that the structure of the bridge is flawed, that there was an impurity in the steel and it began to deteriorate. And they would have to shut the bridge down. I remember that happening like two or three years into one of the constructions. And I said, I can't even believe it. can't even do that right. But see, why are we not strong in our faith? Why don't we always stand firm in a culture that threatens us, in temptations that threaten us? Because we don't come to the Lord and seek to be purified by His Holy Spirit. That that fire burns off the dross, the impurities. So that as Ephesians 6 says, having done all just to stand in the midst of a culture that threatens us. That's a new life. That's a life that's been transformed. A life given wholly and completely over to Him. As this passage draws to a close, what you see is the Holy Spirit descending as if a dove. And then you hear the Father's voice. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The phrase, beloved son, comes from Psalm 2, verse 7. And it reminds us of the one who has given themselves over to the Lord that chooses to serve the Lord and serve his people. We have the opportunity to experience that same love through him. that He loves us that much. That He sent His beloved Son to die for us. That's how much God loves us. And we have the opportunity to embrace that kind of love. Notice that God doesn't say in His Word anywhere, you know what, I created you, I put you down there, now you're on your own. It doesn't happen that way. He sends us with every opportunity to live in that love relationship with Him. Then He sent His Son not only to die for our sin, but to model what life is about. He sends His Spirit to empower us and fill us and transform us into this new life because He loves us. In whom I am well pleased. That comes from the the reading from Isaiah that we saw this morning, Isaiah 42, which, by the way, is one of the servant songs in Isaiah. The implication is, when we give ourselves over to the Lord wholly and completely, we are on the one hand blessed, on the other hand we're called to give, to serve, to love sacrificially. And they go hand in glove when we understand this commitment, this relationship with the Lord, that that's what a transformed life is about. 
See, but if you've never made a decision, you're not really motivated to live into that. Think about some of the things that we talk about when we make a decision. Oh, you know what? I didn't really mean it. You know what? I felt differently at the time. Or I wasn't really feeling it anyway. I just kind of did it. I was going through the motions. The question is, did you really ever make the decision? Or on the other hand, was it just a decision of feelings at that moment? And now, quote-unquote, your heart's not in it. See, this decision that we say we're making is the whole of our being. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, completely and wholly given over to Him. That's what Jesus modeled. That's what Jesus lived. That's what Jesus died. And the scars that he had on his hands and his feet and in his side are reflected in the scar, if you will, that we have at baptism. That we are taking on this death. This death to sin and self. And Jesus rose to new life and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he modeled eternal life in this life and resurrected life for all eternity. And that's what we're promised through Jesus Christ. That's the promised blessing that we have. That we are called to a grace that's offered by him. We are called to a love that's shared by Him. And we're not left without resources, without His presence, without His love living in us. You know, really in many ways, baptism is also a judgment. That's what reflected in baptism is the death of Jesus Christ. It's a judgment of sin. And we come to that place saying we are sinners. We have failed. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. We need a Savior and Lord. So we give ourselves to Him. That's a judgment. We're turning our back on our former life, we say, which was apart from God making decisions for our own personal happiness. That's a judgment. And then we come into His grace. And we experience His love. And we experience His fire. Now yesterday my son Daniel left for Afghanistan. It's been a hard weekend. Because I love my son. But you know what helps me to remember? God loves him more. God loves you more than anyone else could. And that's what we hold on, hold on to.
God loves you that much. And that's what I hold on to. And the question is, have you ever made the decision to live into that love? To accept that love? And live for Him? Please bow with me in prayer. sometimes it's difficult to fathom the love that you have for us. Sometimes it's difficult to really understand the depth of what you gave for us. And yet, Lord, sometimes we take that so lightly. Sometimes we take that for granted. And sometimes our baptism means little. Lord, some here have never really made that decision to give themselves wholly and completely for you, even if they're baptized. Maybe the decision was someone else's. Maybe they did it because quote, it was the right thing to do at the time. But Lord, I pray for those here who are waffling, who have never committed that you would send your Holy Spirit, that they would understand your love, your call. Lord, for those who really have compromised, don't walk the walk. And those who don't even know what the walk looks like, that you would come into their hearts, Lord, and transform them by the power of your Holy Spirit. That they would not only be washed with the water of baptism, but filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that all of us here would be empowered, empowered to live for you, purified, by your spirit to be more effective to be more loving to be more obedient Lord help us to live with that mark the mark of baptism the mark of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray